If you're turning with me in your Bibles today, I'm going to start in Isaiah. Start in Isaiah 43. Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to, we're going to start in verse 16. It's a very familiar little bit of scripture, but I believe God's going to show us something new. Um, if you weren't here last week or you didn't get to hear, um, it should, it's up on podcast and I think it was on Facebook and stuff. If you didn't get to hear, go back and listen because I'm going to kind of go off some of the stuff I talked about last week. We're going to tie into it this week. Um, but I basically talked last week about stewarding your pain. Now, I don't know that we've ever like really labeled it like that or, or I don't think I've preached a message exactly like that about stewarding your pain because we talk about stewarding your money and we talk about stewarding your time and even your talents and we're going to hit on some of that today but but to steward your pain um, and how powerful that can be in your life so go back and listen to that if you didn't get to hear it because it's going to tie into a lot of things that we're going to talk about today um, but today I want to talk to you about something new Something new. I want you to just think about something brand new. Are you doing anything new in your life? Or is it just all same old, ordinary, going through the motions, not growing, not changing? Is, is there any area of your life where there's something new happening? Where there's something new going on? Or are you just good with what you have? Mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially. Have you settled? Have you stopped moving forward? Have you stopped growing? Because that's not a good place to be. We're never called to be in that place as Christians and as Jesus followers. We're always supposed to be growing and moving forward and gaining ground for the kingdom and walking into the future and there, we're never supposed to just be done if you're still breathing and you're still alive then you're not done uh, you woke up you got breath in your lungs I hope you're alive right now as you're listening to me and so that means you're not done you're not supposed to just put it on cruise control and wait till you die one day there are things for you to do so are you in that place where you've just kind of stopped growing or you quit pushing forward? Even on the greatest harvest ever, the biggest crop that a farmer could ever have more than enough and fill all his barns and give away to all the neighbors and to feed all of his livestock for the whole next year, even on the greatest harvest a farmer could ever hope or dream or imagine for, guess what, next year he still has to plow the field and replant it can't just be done because it was so good that one time and now I'm just, that's it. Now for the rest of my life, I'll talk about the great harvest that I once had back in 1986. You're going to go hungry and so are your animals. That's awesome that it was really good, but you had to keep planting. And guess what? On a really bad year and like when a tornado came in and took out all the crops before they were harvested and the farmer almost died and, and six or eight of his animals died because he couldn't feed them and like the worst year you could possibly imagine, guess what? He, he needs to replant after that too. He can't get stuck in the bad either. 
that hurt and it was painful and it was bad and it gave him a whole lot of doubt like hey I did what I was supposed to do I plowed the ground hey I planted the seed and it didn't turn out like I thought it was going to turn out like my life doesn't look like it's supposed to in fact I even experienced great loss and old Bessie my mule died because I didn't have enough corn to feed her I'm using the example of a farmer but I hope you're reading into it a little bit deeper in your life, you're going to go through great victories and you're going to have great defeats. And you're going to experience pain and loss and you're going to experience great joy and triumph. But either way, you can't stop. Either way, you're supposed to keep moving forward. God has something new that He wants to do in your life. Don't get stuck. You can't allow yourself to get stuck in the past. Whether it was in the past victory looking back to the good old days or in a past defeat as humans created in God's image we are meant to keep stepping into the future and to have great impact on the world around us if you're not having any kind of impact on the world around you and influencing people and I would question whether you're doing what God's called you to do we are called to have a great impact on the world around us. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. Look at Isaiah 43. God wants to do something new. I'm going to start uh, in verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse and the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tow. So just to, just to point out real quick, this is something I saw that I hadn't really ever noticed, I don't think. Um, so the prophet Isaiah there, you know, you understand what he was talking about in, the, in those two verses we just read. He's referencing when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and God parted the seas and then the Egyptian army came in and God covered it and he killed Pharaoh and all of his whole army, right? He's talking about their past when they walked out of a hard time. Then, just, just wanted to point that out, he's talking about their past. Now, the next verse says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Bro, you just reminded us of the things of old for the first two verses, and then you said, don't remember the things of old. Well, what is that? I've never noticed that until I read it this time. I was like, wait a second. He just reminded us of the things of old. And then God, through the prophet Isaiah, said, don't remember the things of old. Hmm. Remember ye not the former. That word former it's a Hebrew word, and it was translated in, in our English Bible. Thank God for the English translation so that we can, we can understand it. But that word that was translated former, it's a Hebrew word. Um, it's, the word is zakar, and it doesn't mean to get amnesia. And like just you can't remember what happened to you in the past. You can't remember the hurt, or you can't remember the good thing that God did as he was talking about there or whatever. Like... That's not what the word means. The word zakar, or former, it means to stop mentioning, stop listening, 
and to stop talking about. He said, stop talking about it. It was in your past. You went through it, but like you're not supposed to be stuck there. If you're just stuck over what God did a while back or something that you walked through a long time ago in your past, and all you can think to do and say now is to just point back at the past and talk about the past, what's the danger? You will not experience the new that God has for you. Like, because you're looking back the whole time. So the prophet is saying, stop talking about it. Right? Stop mentioning it. There are some things in your life that you need to stop talking about. It was a part. It was a chapter. But it is not the underlying theme of your whole story. If I wanted to destroy you, I'd try to get you to focus on your past. Because you can never change it. God's not going to do a miracle and change it. You and the whole church can get together and join forces and you can have a million people that want, but you're not going to change the past. It already happened. So you can waste as much time, money, energy, effort, whatever you want, and as long as you're focused on the, on the past, you will never do anything. You'll never walk in the future that God has for you. You will never see the new. Now, I can learn from my past. I'm supposed to. I can honor my past. I can remember my past. But if I give it power, it'll keep me from the new thing that God's trying to do. He says, remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. It doesn't mean it's easy. When God says to do something, it means it's possible. In fact, pretty much every time God says to do something, it's not easy. It's always hard, from my experience. That's because He wants you to have to trust Him. He wants you to need faith. Like, if it's easy, then whoopee. If I tell Sky, go get some candy and eat it, then, and then I celebrate that my son's so obedient, well, that's wonderful. But what about when I tell him to do something he doesn't want to do? What about when I tell him to do something hard? That's when it really matters. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make, and that word make is is not a miracle word like we think because it says make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So we think of a miracle like uh, there, there is a desert and poof, there's a river. Right? We think of it like a miracle word when you hear, I will make a river in the desert. But that word make, it's not an instant or a miracle word. Here's what it means. It means literally to create a process. To create a process. So, He's talking about the new thing that he wants to do in your life. And, and we're like, yeah, do a miracle. I want to see a transformation. I want to see God come through in a big way in my situation. I want to see change. I want to, and, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do a new thing. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to create a process. Yay, I don't like processes. 
processes take too long. Usually processes are going to take like obedience and, and processes that means there's going to be something I have to do because I was wanting you to just kind of do this of something only you can do so that it would just be like poof and I was going to give you the glory. And God's like, no. I will do the impossible. I mean, it's still not, he's going to do the impossible. But you need to know it's a process. Most of the time in life, we're praying for God to do something big, something new, something crazy, and, and we need to know it's a process. Why do we need to know that? So we don't quit. We don't give up on the process. We don't stop when we don't see instant results. God tells us to give, and so we go give, and then we don't see the impact of what it was that we felt instructed to give right away, instantly. We don't see, like, and so we just never give again because we didn't see it. No. We know that it's a process. And so we keep on even when we don't instantly see results. We keep starting new chapters. Well, why are we going to start a new chapter? Your life it's full of chapters, but if you don't start a new chapter, then you're going to be stuck in the chapter you're in right now forever. And then you're stuck in the past. You're looking at the old, going over to the past, however you want to say it. You're stuck. No, we're supposed to keep starting new chapters. It's going to take some consistency. You know, in a, in a marriage, um, I've been married to Jesse for 20 years. Well, over 20 years. Now I can start saying over 20 years because we just had our anniversary. And we have a great marriage, and I love her, and we talked about it last night, and she's not the girl I married. Right? But I'm not the guy she married either. We've both done a lot of growing together over those years. And we love each other probably more today than ever. But if you came up to me and asked me, when did you love Jesse? Well, I'm not sure. No, like, what was the exact moment? Like, what was the thing that was done that made you like, okay, from now on, I love her? Or what was it that you did that made Jesse love you? Like, how could you get her to love you for 20 years? I don't know. Wish I did. Still trying to figure that out, right? <laughs> what, what was it? I don't know. It was a process. It was a ton of things. It was gifts. It was being thoughtful. It was thinking about her over myself. It was her thinking about me over herself. It was years and years and years of all different things all come together to make the greatest love of my life. But it's not a one-time thing of like, poof, now I love you. No, it was a process. Like going to the gym, like you can't ask somebody that's in good shape. So when, what was the moment? Like when was it that you got in shape? July 3rd, was that the day you got in shape? They're going to look at you like you're an idiot because you are. And no, nobody got in shape in one moment. You didn't get in shape in one hour. You can't go to the gym and have an intense hard workout for 10 hours straight and then be in good shape. Wish you could. I could sacrifice 10 hours if I knew <laughs> that after the end of those 10, that's not how it works. What is it? 
It's a process. It's 30 minutes a day consistently. And you keep doing it. What if I don't see results the first day? You won't. What if I don't see results the first two weeks? You won't. The results you'll see are going to be pain. Trust me. But if you don't quit, as Scripture might say, if you faint not, if you persevere, it's worded all different ways. If you keep going, if you don't give up on the process, you'll see results. When does it work? I don't know. When does serving God work? When does God bless you? If I start being faithful and giving 10% of my income because I believe that's what God's called me to do, and, and if I do it faithfully, at what point do I see God open up the windows of heaven and pour them out on my behalf? I, I don't know. I don't know when the moment that that happens is. At what point do I see God begin to just bless me? And, and when do I hear His voice? It's a process. And we keep serving and obeying and doing what He's called us to do. When does it work? I don't know. But I do know if you only do it one time, it doesn't. Just like working out. Just like a relationship. Just like so many other things. It takes consistency. Oh, I've tried that. Try again. If you want to live in the new thing that God has for you, it's going to take discipline and consistency. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Right? I mean, if living a godly life and being blessed and... and doing everything like and stepping into your future and having an impact on everyone around you and changing the world and and leaving this legacy and like if it was easy everybody would just do that right sure we all want that but some people wake up some of you wake up okay sometimes I wake up and we feel like our life is ordinary we feel like there's nothing special going on. There's nothing like nothing crazy is going to happen today. I'm going to just get up and put on my clothes and do what I do. And hopefully drink a cup of coffee and go to work or go to school or what, whatever it is. Like, and, and we get this in our mind of this mundane, ordinary, nothing special, nothing new is going to happen today. Nothing crazy. Like, and we don't even have an expectation for God to do something big. Like if he did, it would be the Paul getting knocked off a donkey experience. Because we'd be so shocked. Whoa, God came through my day. Like, As Christians, we should get up expecting for God to come through in our day. To do something big. We should be constantly creating atmosphere. Creating moments for God to speak. Not only to our hearts and mind, but to the people we come in contact with. Like we're supposed to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere we go, everything we do. Well, I just got to go to Walmart tomorrow. Cool. There too. 
but we start thinking that my life is ordinary. There's nothing exciting. And there's not a chance for transformation or greatness when we get in that mindset. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, right? Because you're not going to be able to do it on your own. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. It's about your focus. What you're focused on in that moment. Right now during this church service, most every one of you in this room is going to hear from God. Probably already have. One area or another. Why? Because you're focused. And because I'm focused. And I've been studying and I feel like God said stuff to me. And and you're trying to receive it. And you're open. So you're going to hear from God. This moment isn't some special holy blessed moment God's always speaking and you'll be changed from the inside out readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it just obey unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. So, so that part in verse 1 that we read, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Nothing you give to God is ordinary. Like in your hand, it seems like it's not enough. In your hand, your talent seems like not enough. In your hand, a little bit of money that you can scratch, it's not even enough to do it. It's not even enough to pay my bills, so I can't really help anybody else. Cause it's, it's, but once I get more, I will because I have a good heart. Or, you know, like my talent, I'm not good enough to really do anything or to really help anybody. And so it's just ordinary. Like everybody can do what I can do. And thinking that it's ordinary causes us to just hold on to it. And it's hard for God to use what you won't lay down, what you won't let go of, what you, what you hold on to. But nothing that you give to God is ordinary. He'll use it. The word ordinary, according to Webster, it means nothing special, nothing different. I love where David said, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day. Not yesterday's the day, not, not tomorrow's the day, not, can you remember, we make up the song, this is the day. 
That was the day. That was the day I killed Goliath. No, David said, this is the day right now. God's done great things in the past. And there have been great losses in the past, right? David had some very serious mess-ups. David had lost loved ones. David had gone through some really hard things. And David had also had some major, huge victories where he killed Goliath and, and did all these great things. But David said, this is the day. And on this day, I will rejoice. And I will focus on today. Why? So I'm going to get all I can out of it. Not tomorrow. Not that was the day. I was thinking about Ephesians 3.20 where Paul said, To him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. Right? Just that. That little bit. If we really believe that we serve a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, I can ask and think a lot. And I serve a God that can do more than that. He's able to do even more. You know, rejoicing is a choice. You choose. We just sang in that song, the song that Bo sang, I choose to praise. I choose to praise and glorify, glorify, to, to glorify God. I choose to praise. Rejoicing is a choice. It's to have joy. We choose joy. It's not always a feeling. It matters most when you don't feel it. That you're going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to rejoice even when I don't feel like having joy. Victory is also a choice. You know, the lion is a natural born killer. But he must learn to hunt from his parents. He must practice the hunt daily, especially as he gets into that teenage lion age. They can't just go out and get a big kill and feed the, the pride. They have to learn to hunt. That's why they have these problems with if a lion is caught as a cub, like if its mother gets killed or something, and they catch a lion cub, and he's raised in captivity, and he's never taught how to hunt, you know, the human just brings him a T-bone every day and feeds it to him. Well, when the lion gets to be a full-grown killing machine, the king of the jungle, a beast, and they release him into the wild, he starves. Because he didn't know how to hunt. He didn't go through the process day after day after day of learning how to run, of learning how to stalk his prey, of learning how to chase something down, of learning how powerful those claws are, of learning how much strength is inside of him. There is greatness on the inside of every one of you. There is world-changing power inside of you. God placed it there. He placed a dream inside of your heart and your mind that, that if unleashed, can shake the nation. It could change the world. But it's going to take some consistency. 
going to take a little bit of obedience. There is nothing ordinary. Nothing in my life is ordinary. Everything you need to live an extraordinary life, everything you need to change the world is inside of you, but you must invest. You must steward your time. So last week we talked about stewarding your pain, and today we're talking about stewarding your time. To think about the time that you spend. To think about the time that you exchange time every day at your job for money. You spend your time. What are you spending on? Does God get any of your time? Do your kids get any of your time? Do, like, do you use any of the money that you've traded your time for to give to anything other than yourself? Do you, what do you do with your time? Do you steward your time well because it's the most valuable thing that you have? And you don't know when you're going to be out of it. But as of right now, everybody that's listening to me, you still have some. We don't know how much, but you got some. You got this moment. You got this minute. So what will you do with your time? What will you choose to focus on because it really matters? Everything you need is inside of you. The buzzard and the hummingbird both wake up in the same world. One has an expectation or a dream to find something sweet. The other, to find something dead. And guess what? They both do. Every day, living in the same world, the hummingbird wakes up and finds something sweet. Because that's what it's looking for. That's what it's searching for and seeking after. And it spends its moments looking for something sweet. And it finds it. And the buzzard, in the same way, he wakes up looking for something dead. I don't really know how buzzards even find the dead. I don't know if they can smell it or what. But somehow they find them. <laughs> they always find something dead. And I meet people that sit there belly aching and complaining about their life and how, oh, my life, every day I just run into something like I. What's your expectation? When you wake up in the morning, do you know it's already going to be a bad day? Do you already know like nothing good is going to happen today? There's nothing sweet going to happen in this day? Well, you're probably right. You're going to find death and eat it. Your mind is so powerful that you will find what you're looking for. Jesus said it this way. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door's going to be open. If you stand there beating on the door long enough, it's going to get open. You're going to find a way to get in. If you're searching for something that hard, Jesus said you're going to find it, good or bad. You might even create it. Ephesians 5, 15.
says, wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Why? Because you missed the moments. Because you were intoxicated. Drink the spirit of God. Huge droughts of Him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God, the Father, in the name of our Master Jesus Christ. He said, sing. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus. And he's saying, I need you all to wake up out of your sleep. Like you're living life like you're asleep. Or he said, get up out of your coffin. Like you're not dead. You've been given new life. You're supposed to live today in this moment. Like take advantage of it. Stop laying around like you're in a coffin or like you're asleep. Get up and sing praises to God. Thank Him for what He's done for you. Like, don't spend your life, he said, don't spend your life drinking wine so you miss out on what God's trying to do. Be alert. Be awake. Listen to what He wants to do. Colossians 4.5 says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Did you know you can choose whether to redeem the time or waste it? You choose. It's really up to you. What will you do? We walk through the valley. We don't stop in the valley. We keep on going. We keep moving through it. You're going to go through some hard moments. Some hard minutes. But don't give up. It was just a chapter, not the whole story. So today I was supposed to tell somebody to pick up the pen. It's time to write again. Look at Psalms 90. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom teach us to number our days so that we may apply our hearts to wisdom so this is one of the few psalms that Moses wrote so old Moses wrote this one and he says teach us to number our days Teach us to take advantage of our days or the time that we have so that we can apply our hearts unto wisdom. So, how do we use the time? How do you use the time that you're given? That's what Moses is saying. Teach us to log it or number it or realize like what we're doing with our moments with our days with our time like am I wasting it am I using it am I investing it am I giving am I looking more like God am I like look at it 
Or am I just treating, treating it as ordinary and missing moments? We set up habits and systems. And we set them into place so that we can have great impact in the future. You know when you build the future? Today. You don't wait till tomorrow to build the future because then it's today and then you never build. So people that wait till tomorrow to build the future that they want to see in their life and to do something great for God, I'll do it tomorrow, never do. The people that are going to do something great in the future, the people that are going to realize their big dream in the future are the people that are working on it today. That's how you prepare. A great athlete doesn't just become a great ball player in the future. They're working today so that they can be that in the future. What if I asked you today, where will you be in five years? If I asked you, like, with your current habits and patterns and how you've got your life set up and what it is that you do every day and, and the amount of time that you study and that you spend with God and, you know, you're giving and you're earning and you're spending and you're whatever. If you took all of that into account and then... Oh yeah, go ahead and make sure you take into account your five closest relationships because that has a lot to do with where you're going to be in the future. Where are you going to be in five years? Is it a good place? Are you headed somewhere you want to go? Or do you need to jump off of that ship? More importantly, who will you be in five years? Because we're all growing and changing and we're different so five years from now are you going to like you five years from now are you going to look more like God you have 86,000 seconds a day use them use them wisely I feel like we waste a lot you can spend time or waste it. So in the average American life, you're going to spend 15 years looking at your cell phone. On average. So, and that number is actually climbing. But as of right now, the average will spend 15 years staring at a cell phone. 15 years of your life you will spend, the average American will spend two years of their life standing inside of a Walmart. Standing inside of Walmart for two years. Some of y'all are like, I don't spend that much time. But yet some people brought up the average, like my cousin Daniel, he spent 12 years in one, so that brought the average up a little bit. But <laughs> he's working there. But the average, two years of your life, you're going to stand, you're going to spend in Walmart. So if you don't think those moments are special and you don't think God can use you inside of a Walmart, 
you don't think you can learn or grow or your interaction with people or anything can happen, then right there you just X'd off two years of your life. Like, nope, God's not going to do anything there. And He's probably not. Because you're not even expecting Him to. You're going to spend 25 years of your life asleep. The average American spends 25 years of their life asleep. 25 years. I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's, that's pretty dumb. You're going to be dead real soon. You're supposed to sleep. God set up a whole day called the Sabbath. Like You're supposed to take a rest and a break. But, but you're going to spend 25 years asleep. God set up sleep and designed it. And He can use it to recharge you so that you get more out of your other minutes. God can also speak to you through dreams if you're in tune to the Spirit and His presence. And you can hear it and decipher those dreams. And I'm not talking about getting crazy. I don't want y'all sending me emails of your... Y'all don't even have my email address. (laughs) I don't want y'all telling me about some crazy dream now that I said this. But God uses your sleep time, or it could be wasted. The average American will spend 10 years at work. The average American, this one's cool, you'll spend two years of your life sitting at red lights. Two years. Two years of your life sitting at red lights. Right? So you don't sit at any of the green ones you come up to or None of y'all sit at yellow ones, so only just the red light. You'll sit there for two years of your life. Could be wasted moments. Depends on you. With no purpose. It could be a lot of wasted time. Here, last one. I'll give you one more. You're going to spend 92 days of your life sitting on a toilet. 92 days. That's 24 hours a day. 92 days of your life will be spent sitting on the toilet. You going to waste that time? There will be a lot of waste in that time, I guess. <laughs> Let's go back to the notes. <laughs> With purpose, it all matters. And we're taking advantage of the time that we have. Why? Because we look at every moment as a gift. Every minute we're alive, every minute we get to take another breath, every minute we get to see each other, every minute we get to stand here in church and worship and and we get to see our grandkids. And it's because we start to look at every single moment as a gift, as a blessing. I get to be here today talking to you guys about this stuff. And, And next Saturday, I get to play softball for one more year. And hopefully I get a lot more after that. I'm not saying, like, let's just say, hey, this is it. Let's go all in. But we should look at every moment as a a gift, as a blessing. I want to get all that I can out of it. I don't want to sell myself short. What will you do with the time that you're given? It's a gift. you took a log for one week just think about that 
or one week if you logged every minute that you spent. You got 1,440 minutes per day. Every single minute. What would that log look like by the end of the week? I'm going to skip. I, I had given, Selah, I gave you a couple more verses. I'm going to skip that Matthew and, and Acts. I'm going to wrap this thing up. Get out of here. Um, so as we close, I just want you to think about Joseph. You know Joseph. You know the story of Joseph where he had the big dream because I believe that God has placed a dream, a purpose on the inside of each one of you, a big dream. God placed a dream inside of Joseph and, and his brothers didn't like the dream and they beat him up and they threw him in a well and they were gonna kill him and his older brother stepped in and said, no, don't kill him. And so they sold him into slavery and he got taken to a faraway land. And, and Joseph, we know the story, he kept working, he kept his focus on God. He, he didn't say, oh, well, now I'm in slavery, so the dream's over. The giftings that God gave me are over. He can't use me. It never happened. It didn't come to pass. These are wasted moments. No, he, Joseph kept working hard. He kept making the most out of every moment, and he rose to the top in Potiphar's house, the, the slave owner, his master, Potiphar's house, until Potiphar's wife like started liking him and tried to have an affair with him, and he said no. He did the right thing and turned it down, and he ran from her and ran away, and so then he got thrown into jail, and so it's another reason why he could have gave up and say, okay, now this is wasted time. You know, I've even heard people that have gone to jail or served time. They talk about how it's just wasted time. Not to Joseph. Those weren't wasted moments. He was using those moments he had a dream, and it looked like it would never happen. And as I was thinking about this this week, I, I thought about the fact that when Joseph was in jail, and he knew that his dream never came to pass, like it didn't work, so it really looked like he had missed it, and he was going to rot away in this jail. And then the butler and the baker get thrown in jail, and what does Joseph do? interprets their dreams I don't know about y'all but I've probably been thinking you know what I'm not too good at interpreting dreams I tried to interpret my own dream and it got the crap beat out of me it got me sold into slavery and it never happened so it probably wasn't even God I don't know how to interpret dreams now maybe one day if my dream actually comes true my big dream and I see that that was right, then that will give me the confidence to step out with this gifting that God has given me to interpret dreams. But that's not how God works. Right? God doesn't give you everything and then ask you to give some of it. God asks you to give some of it, and then He gives you everything. So what Joseph did was stepped up and said, Hey, yeah, I know the living God, so I'll interpret your dreams. And Joseph interpreted their dreams. Now, we know that they got out and they forgot about him and stuff, but when they finally remembered and he got brought to the palace and then Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, this could have got him killed if he messed up on this one. Keep in mind, Joseph's dream still hadn't come true. 
Joseph, the, the things that God placed in his heart and his mind and the future that he had in mind, it still hadn't happened. And he had been faithful in every moment. He was faithful to the process. It wasn't like he was just wasting moments. Even in a bad situation, he was faithful and it still hadn't come true. And now he had to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He could lose his head if this one goes wrong. And we know from reading the story and looking back that him interpreting the butler and the baker's dreams and him interpreting Pharaoh's dream is what enabled him to step into his own dream. That's how he got to the palace. That's how he saved the lives of many, as Scripture puts it. That's how his brothers came and bowed down to him. Everything that he saw in the dream, how it happened was that he used his gifting and then God released the dream. And so a lot of times I feel like we're sitting there and we're thinking, Hey, God, why didn't you give me the dream? God, why didn't you give me the future that I saw? God, why didn't you, why didn't you let all these things happen for me? And God's like, because you never released the gifting that I gave you. Because you're so stingy that you're holding on so tight to the things that I've given you. I can't release the big thing that I have for you. I can't. You see, God's waiting on you to release. Joseph had to release the gifting. And then God opened up the windows and released his dream. It looked like his dream would never happen. But he helped other people with their dreams. And that's what made his dream come true. If Joseph would have held on to his gift, he would have missed an opportunity to release his dream to the world. Can I tell you that generosity opens doors? When you're generous, you look most like God. See, because God is love and the number one response of love is to give. So you look most like God when you are giving those moments. Remember I told you the most valuable thing. Don't switch over and think, oh, he's just trying to get money. I'm, I'm talking about time. And that can translate into money and in talent and all different other things. But we're talking about time. The number one response of love is to give. If I say I love my wife and I never spend any time with her and I don't give her moments of focused attention and I don't give her moments to help her do the things that she needs help with or to show her that I love her to help like it's a broken love the number one response to love is to give remember the guy that Joseph helped I just mentioned it he forgot about him for a while you need to remember the ones that helped you Right, We all stand on other people's shoulders and there were people that got us to where we're at right now. Remember the ones that helped you. Remember the ones that surround you and support you and hold up your hands when you can't hold them up on your own. Gratitude and generosity, they, they work hand in hand. We see it all throughout Scripture. Gratitude and generosity. Psalms 100 tells us that we enter into His presence 
with the message Bible words that like we enter into his presence with the password thank you we enter into his presence with thanksgiving I think is how King James says it but that's how we enter into God's presence where things can change it's by being grateful having a grateful heart so heart of gratitude is always finding something to be thankful for remember like Paul and Silas at midnight in the prison when things looked really bad they still were trying to find something to be thankful for something to praise something to worship God for it's finding the precious even or especially in the pain and a grateful heart is usually a generous heart you know you can give without loving but you can't love without giving so you can imagine what would have happened if Joseph would have operated out of a selfish heart if Joseph would have just closed up in prison or even in Potiphar's house and just kind of flew under the radar and said you know what things didn't turn out like I thought they would I was off on the dream I don't have any giftings or talents I'm just going to be a slave for the rest of my life probably would have missed out on his destiny a wait until I have to give heart things are bad so I'm just gonna serve like forget those dreams what would have happened to his destiny I don't we don't know God may have had to raise up somebody else to save his people but Joseph knew that every moment counts what Joseph knew was today matters no matter where I find myself no matter where I'm going no matter what I'm doing today matters John Maxwell teaches this principle to to leaders and he calls it the principle of success and it's um, it's the principle of five a day he calls it five a day and the idea is like if you had this giant oak tree out in your yard and you wanted to chop it down with an axe that seems like a great big dream and that it would take you a long time and you're probably not in good enough shape to do it and it might take you days to stand there and chop it and you're going to be so sore and wore out and whatever but here's the principle that if you got up every single morning and you just got up 10 minutes earlier than whatever you were going to do the rest of the day just give yourself 10 more minutes grab your nice sharp axe and you walk out there and you hit the oak tree five times with purposed focused swings in the perfect spots where you want to but you just hit it five times you don't even have to break a sweat hit it five times walk back in lean your axe up against the door and go on about your day five times a day that within one year within one year even the largest oak tree that we know of would fall and you didn't even break a sweat right you didn't even want just because you took advantage of a few moments every day you focused on something that you wanted to accomplish and you had enough discipline to just keep doing it even if you didn't see the results you were looking for right away you had enough discipline to say, you know what, I've made a commitment and I'm going to do it for a year. And by the end of the year, when this giant, massive thing is on the ground and people are like, whoa, how did you do that? 
and you just smile because you know it's a process that you've been working on for a long time. You've just been obeying and focusing on what you need to focus on. You've just been focusing on the right thing and you keep going. Pastor Bruce says that obedience is a slow and steady walk in the same direction. I said, I'm just going to keep on going because this is where I'm supposed to go and I'm going to keep doing the things that I know I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to keep walking in obedience. And will we see God make a way where there is no way? Make a a river in the desert like Isaiah was telling. Yeah, we're going to see it. We're going to see the impossible happen through a process. Through the process of obedience and of counting our moments numbering our days let's pray God thank you God thanks for speaking to us thanks for editing my messages in the middle of them God I believe that you're real and that you speak And that you speak to me. And that you speak to all of us. God, help us to focus. Help us not to think of our lives and of our moments, of our Monday as ordinary. and Just another moment, or I'm just going back to work, or I'm just going to Walmart. but, But that we would expect you to come through. God, help us to focus. Help us to set up our five-a-day. Help us to set up a process in our lives so that in five years from now, we've made a great impact on the kingdom. We've made a great impact on the world around us. Little by little, one step at a time. God, we want to see the new. God, we don't want to be the farmer that looks around and is starving because we we didn't do the work to plant. So God, we're believing you and we're trusting in you to do what we can't do. We're trusting in you to do the miraculous. We trust in you to come through in a big way. We, we trust you to comfort our grieving hearts when they're broken. And we're believing in you. We're going to keep moving forward. We're not going to get stuck. In Jesus' name, amen.